Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com again, and it's now Tuesday, April 29th. Otherwise, that was two days after the NBA draft deadline for underclassmen, and one day after the final power conference job was filled, at least for now, with uh, Missouri hiring uh, Kim Anderson. So this seems like as good a time as any to revisit with Matt Norlander and Jeff Borzella and talk issues in college basketball that have been going on since we uh, returned home from the Final Four. Borzello, Norlander, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm I'm, 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 I missed you guys. I missed you guys. Well, I, I, I missed you. I missed you plenty, Borzello and GP. But Parrish, you actually sound like you're in conference tournament form right now. What's going on with the voice? You know what? I, I really don't know. Like, I, I went back to a radio yesterday and I had a lot of people say, so what's going on with your voice? And uh, they were like, ooh, hard weekend. Because that's what people always assume, right? <laughs> like, ooh, you must have got after this weekend. And I really didn't. Kelly went to um, Nashville to run in the Rock and Roll Half Marathon with Bill Belichick and like thousands of other people. And so I was in charge of the boys uh, for the entire weekend. I, I don't want to get the line. Uh, my sister-in-law helped with the four-month-old uh, a lot because we That's were – we yeah, because like A, Kelly doesn't trust me with the four-month-old. And B, uh, we were out of town a lot for a soccer tournament my 11-year-old had. And then I had the Grizzlies uh, playoff game on, on Saturday night. But I think just actually – full-time taking care of children for a weekend like totally ripped away my health my wife doesn't trust me with my four-month-old child you basically just said that no i believe it's 100 percent true like yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think i would trust you with a four-month-old either yeah not because i'm gonna uh like you know lose him or something just because like <laughs> uh he he's very needy like and and honestly you know in the weekend of the draft deadline and missouri presumably hiring a coach at any time and Grizzlies playoff game and with my son's soccer tournament, which happened to be in Oxford, Mississippi, out of town. Uh, there's just so much going on. She was like, there's no way you're going to be able to do all of that and handle uh, Oliver as well. And so uh, my, my uh, our relative stepped in. But uh, by Sunday night, I was just completely worn down. And I woke up and I sound like somebody who had a really hard weekend. But really, well, well, I just had like a normal father type weekend. Are you and uh, family and friends okay down there, though? Because there was obviously swaths yeah, tornadoes, out. Yeah. Did you yeah. Did you get hit at all or what? Well, it's been bad weather here, but but nothing like what you've seen on CNN and other places. I mean, Tupelo, honestly, uh, is about, I don't know, 45 minutes from me. And it, um, it was obviously ravaged in a pretty uh, serious way. Uh, Tuscaloosa was obviously hit. A lot of Alabama, that's a few hours away. But, um, you know, where I'm at, I, you know, we, we had some wind blow down umbrellas on the patio. You know, it's not anything to be concerned about. But, yeah, you, you see what's going on, whether it's in Oklahoma or Arkansas or uh, parts of Mississippi and Alabama. Like, we're fortunate to get, get bypassed. And it's just uh, those things are so dangerous, the tornadoes, like for obvious reasons. Right. But they're also like they just come out of nowhere and then it's mm-hmm. over. And, and right. the, you know, the, the truth is I, where I live, we forever had tornado warnings, like all of the time. It's like, all right, another tornado warning. And you almost like, Oh God, whatever. Like you don't even care. You don't even blink because you know, I, I've literally been in, I would say hundreds of tornado warnings in my life and like Jeez. watched them on television. And yet that might be overstating it, but let, you know, whatever the point's the same, a whole, whole bunch. And yet never actually seen a tornado, never actually had my home or school or anywhere where I lived damaged by a tornado. And yet I imagine that's the same thought everybody has up until, you know, your house is ripped into half, like right. uh, tragically. And so it's just uh, it's a, it's a scary deal that, 
I, I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or because I have children, but uh, but you do take those things a little more seriously now. Like if nothing else, you know, you know, you, you yell at the you know your eleven year old, come downstairs, get in the bathroom. We're not gonna just assume that we'll be okay, even though we've been okay forever. Because you know, I woke up this morning and there's a story about a, an athlete at the University of Alabama, a swimmer you know, dead, you know, and he was like living his life as normally as he could have yesterday. And then somebody said, there's a tornado warning, take shelter. And whether he did or not, I have no idea, but now he's not alive. And that's a, that's a scary, scary deal. Yeah. Actually, when I was, uh, your son, your youngest son, Oliver's age, like four months old, I have obviously no memory of this, but I lived in, I was born in Denver and, uh, both of my parents were at work and I, my uncle who actually still lives out there was, was watching me, but very rare for tornadoes to hit that area, obviously, because the elevation. But there were tornadoes sometime in, like, August of 81 or something. And a uh, tornado came down, actually hit a house that I, I my parents say was diagonal to us. But my, my uncle actually took me and covered me in the bathtub, in the bathroom. And thankfully... Huh. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's one of those crazy things. Like, I could very well not be here if the tornado had hit, you know, 60 feet closer or had, had hit the house. Uh, so that's the only tornado that I've actually ever been a part of. But, yeah, they're they're totally scary. I've got friends in the south, and that's kind of the nature of them is, is you, as you said, GP, is you kind of expect them because they happen with regularity to a certain degree. But even still, to me, they're, they're the most they're, – they're the scariest thing. Like, they're scarier than hurricanes because – Hurricanes, you can sort of project where it's going to go. Like, right? yeah, exactly, like a, like and there's like a buildup. But with, with right. the tornado, it just it just, it just flops there, down yeah. out of the sky, and it's you know 160 mile an hour winds, and it might last a minute, it might last 10 minutes, but you just can't predict the path of it, and that's what makes it so terrifying. Well, that's the other thing is like with a hurricane, at least, and not the you know discount one against right, the other, but but like with a hurricane, and maybe this wasn't the way uh, people thought before Katrina. I, I think I, I think. There were a lot of people who just said, oh, it's a hurricane. We'll be fine. You know, people sort of take that approach. Like, well, oh, we'll be fine. Like, even people in New Orleans assume that. And, um, but, but since that very high-profile tragedy, I think people do take hurricanes uh, far more seriously than they might have otherwise uh, across the board. Beyond that, uh, like you said, somebody says, hey, a hurricane is coming. Take shelter. You know that, A, it's coming, and, B, it's going to hit you. Whereas with a, a, a tornado... They can say there's a tornado warning, which means it's been spotted. Then they can say there's a tornado on the ground, and there's still a chance that it won't hit you. Like, it might it might hit a mile away from you, but it's not going to hit you. It just sort of takes whatever path it takes. And so um, it's a little bit like a, a roulette wheel. Like, you, you, know yeah. the, you know the wheel's spinning, and you know the ball's going to land somewhere, but odds are it's not going to be you. And so it, it, it sort of makes it hard to, to get all worked up about it. At least it has for me, given that you know I've been alive 37 years and never actually been affected directly, personally, by a tornado, even though they've been all around me practically my whole life. And yet, if you happen to be, to borrow from the analogy again, the the unlucky spot where the ball lands on this roulette wheel, uh, sometimes it doesn't matter whether you took shelter or not. Like there's stories about when the football player at Alabama was killed in a, or his girlfriend or Bo right, uh, yeah. was killed in a tornado a few years ago. Like they did what you're supposed to do, you know, get in a closet, get in the bathroom, take shelter. And then when a tornado of that magnitude just rips through your house, you're just, you, it just rips through your house. There's not like, you know, there was a story uh, a few years ago. I think this might've been Oklahoma or, or Alabama. And I apologize if they all blend together. I wish they didn't, but they're, they're so common that they actually do for most people. Uh, a dad, 
riding in a car with his son, and his son was sucked out of the uh, uh, oh, sunroof. Like, really? Can you, can you imagine? Like, you're riding down with your son, and, and next thing you know, he just he's ripped through the sunroof and gone forever. Like, you know, they found this body a couple days later, and he was as you would expect and um it's just that to me that's the scariest thing is that even when it's coming and you know it's coming you still also sort of know that there's a good percentage chance that it's not going to hit you and yet if it does there's nothing you can do about it at least with a with a hurricane they say a hurricane's coming you can get out of there and and be fine but with a tornado your instincts are will be fine and yet if you're not fine you are not fine at all yeah, so it's great to talk Jeez, to you. Man. So it's so it's wonderful to talk college basketball again. God, I, I don't even know. You're the one that asked how. Yeah, no, hey, don't, don't ever ask Parrish about the weather again. <laughs> so I mean, what do we do? We want to talk. Uh, well, here's what I want to talk about first. So the draft, the, the draft, well, the draft deadline is has expired, and all the coaching searches are filled. And what we found out, I guess it was last Friday, was that Andrew and Aaron Harrison are going to return to Kentucky. That means. That heading into the offseason, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most reasonable people would say that there were eight legitimate NBA prospects at Kentucky on its roster that could have theoretically turned pro. Doesn't mean it would have been wise for Marcus Lee or Alex Poitras, uh, but they could have done it and probably been picked somewhere. And yet six of the eight actually returned to school, including the two guards, which combined with the stacked front court uh, suggests that. I don't know, this sounds crazy, but they're maybe, probably more talented than they were last year when they were the preseason number one team that ended up playing for a national championship. And this year, they're going to have experience that should um, presumably allow them to to miss some of the stumbling points that they had, I was going to say early last season, but really throughout last season until uh, the postseason. Is there any rational, intelligent reason to say anybody other than Kentucky should be number one overall? I don't think so. I mean, there, you know, last year they did have some question marks going into the year. You know, point guard depth, experience. Now they don't really have any of those. You know, they have a ton of depth. Um, obviously, you mentioned they have experience, and it, it's kind of funny that they played well enough to, you know, a lot of the guys that could have gone pro played well enough to get to the national championship game, but not good enough to be a, a lock first round pick. Um, t- to me, it's, that's just it's it's insane that yeah. they played that well in March. And six of the eight guys, uh, what, six, what do you say, four of the six guys or six of the eight guys, whatever, six, yeah, um, yeah. yeah return, return to school. I just think that, um, <laughs> obviously it's not Calipari is doing, but it's, it was, it's to me, I found it fascinating. Uh, man, you know, I, I really like Duke next year, but it's pretty much impossible. <laughs> Here we are again with Kentucky. Watch Kentucky stumble next november too watch them <laughs> watch them lose two or three games yeah but they, they 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 stumbled this past year and they made the title game exactly. well, that, that's the so. that's the interesting thing is now because of the way that run went down like even like, when they're stumbling though john calipari will all, will forever preach hey it's a process it doesn't matter now he's got tangible proof of like hey you guys are flipping out why you're the yeah. same people that flipped out last year look where we ended up we'll be fine in other words uh, hey i don't think they're going to stumble i think they're going to be really strong from the start yep. uh, I, like listen i i'm not predicting 40 and 0 and anybody who does is being silly but i think they're more likely to go 40 and 0 with this roster than they were last year's roster given given, given the depth they, they, they can play more different ways you know different ways this right. year they have you know Tyler Ulis and Devin Booker would have been right. starting guards and now those guys are going to get, you know, 15 minutes a game. And But they can play different ways. They can go, you know, against UConn, it would have helped if they could have gone maybe a little quicker or smaller in the backcourt. And now they're able to do that. They're able to go big, small, fast, slow. So 
I think that you know they uh, there's less of a chance they lose whatever ten eleven games like they did. Well, the I, I, yeah, I would say there's like I'm not going to say no chance you get in trouble doing that, but I bet against it. I mean, they're going to be starting, you know, maybe only one freshman, and not because they don't have great freshmen, just because yeah. they're going to have. You know, Willie Colley Stein is a junior who might actually come off the bench, but Dakari sophomore, Harrison sophomores, Poitras a junior. Um, they're, they're really, uh, I mean, it's 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 an experienced, deep, and immensely talented roster, and and now Calipari also has the credibility, like I said, to shut anybody up. Not that he's above trying to do it anyway in November, December, January, but any question that might come about, he can counter it with. Are you the same people who were questioning us last year? Uh, yeah, fair. You know, you know and, yeah, and it won't mean that it, it won't be fair to criticize or question right. if they stumble. Uh, but he's got a pretty a pretty heavy uh, trump card to play. Right, three Final Fours in five years there to date. Uh, this will be interesting from Kentucky's perspective. Of, I guess it'll be the the most minutes Cal will have to spread around. In theory, we'll see how the team blends comes together but you know here's here are the names you know both harrison's fourth wrist to johnson trey lyle's a freshman collie stein carl towns marcus lee tyler willis still going devin booker dominique hawkins and Derek willis uh, i'm guessing those last two won't see too much time but um we know cal is obviously a master motivator in terms of getting guys Man, it's such a cliche, but to truly buy in, because he that's like that's his hard sell. And I talked to a few guys at the Final Four with Kentucky. In terms of that, that that is, you know, he knows the job he has and the school it is, and so he can afford to say, "Don't come here unless you can handle the pressure." And you realize that you're going to sit more than you're going to play. That's that's a that's a strong possibility. So with that, with those players leading up to it, he should be able to balance it. But still, when you've got that much talent, when you've got at least eight guys that uh, that can make a pro, you know, a pro NBA check going forward, balancing all those minutes I think will be the the toughest challenge initially for those first four to six weeks it's going to be very difficult and it's one of those as odd as it is to say you you almost on some level hope for a sprained ankle early and a a pulled hamstring Mm. somewhere else that that sort of limits your options so that you're not you know, I you know you, now especially you in the front court. And that's what like, I mean. Yeah, like so you don't, many guys. You don't yeah. want Aaron Harrison pulling a hamstring, but right. like if any of those front court guys like were out for two or three games or two weeks, it's not a big deal, and you could actually twist it into a good thing because then you're not having to manage minutes in a more conventional way. Clearly, that is the biggest challenge for him um, is going to be trying to keep those front court guys happy because you're you're literally going to have a future first round pick buried on your bench somewhere. I mean, let's just go through it, okay? Um, even if you assume Alex Poitras can play the three, and for the sake of the conversation, let's just assume that he can. Then you've got, um, let's say, let's start it with Dakari Johnson and Trey, Trey Lyles up front. All right. So then you're going to go uh, Willie Collie Stein coming off the bench, and 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 who? Carl, Carl Towns. Towns. Carl Towns. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that means Marcus, Marcus Lee, Lee. St- <laughs> is still buried, right? And that's a guy who had a phenomenal game in the NCAA tournament when given the opportunity uh, to actual play. you got real issues if Poitras can't play the three because then he goes back into that mm-hmm. cluster of big okay. men, and, and then you end up probably playing, I would assume, that you, you would recognize I, I think that's, that's one of, that's, I mean, I guess the biggest tangible weakness is You the, need Poitras at the three. Yeah, that's, that's the it. biggest thing, yeah. Besides yeah. managing minutes, I think that, you know, James Young's replacement is going to be. If um, you, the biggest thing, yeah. If they just decide at some point, whether it's November, December, January, that Alex Poitras can't play the three, he can't, 
He can't str- yeah. he can't space the floor on offense, and he can't guard uh, uh, opponents' threes on defense. It's just a, not an ideal spot. You got him, then thrown in with that cluster of bigs. What do you what? do then? Do you go Tyler Eulis with the Harrisons? Is that the best way to play Porzello? You, yeah, because you could do that because the Harrisons are both you know really good scorers. You can go Devin Booker and have two just great shooters in Aaron Harrison, and Devin Booker on mm-hmm. the court. But I, you know, I think that if Porzello doesn't work out at the three. Um, then I could see them losing a couple of games, but you know, if, if, if he could just make a few shots, they, they could play his own defensively, um, and cover him up, um, on that end of the floor. But yeah, if he doesn't work out, then I think we're going to have to see some adjustments. And then the front court obviously gets more crowded and, and we'll, we could see some, you know, chemistry issues there. Yeah. Well, the great thing is that even if you have to play, you know, a three guard lineup, it's not a small lineup. I mean, yeah, Ulis, I mean the, the guards are six, six, five, six, five, six, five across the board. Yeah. Right. I mean, Ulysses is little, but the other guys, yeah. the Harrisons are massive for their position. And so, uh, uh, Norlander, are you surprised that the Harrisons ultimately made this decision? I'll be honest with you. Um, in the preseason, they were turning pro as recently as March. I was told by somebody close to the family, they're turning pro no matter what. They clearly reconsidered that. Did it surprise you? Did surprise me. Uh, I th- I thought that they were certainly going to go. You you knew that they would, you know, do the twin thing and and make their decision jointly. So it was both go, both stay. It wouldn't be one either or. I think it's a smart decision because obviously the the space on the roster is there for them because the backcourt that Kentucky has is still plenty loaded, but. With them, they obviously are afforded the uh, the ability to come back, start, and up their stock, and go in a draft in 2015 that will be weaker than 2014, which is just stacked up to be uh, pretty remarkable, even with the guys that have opted to not enter and, and come back to college. So, fairly surprised. Um, I, I I like Andrew more than Aaron overall. I think that that's kind of the consensus across the board. Uh, but I think this could actually prove to be a pretty big year for them overall because with all the talent that's around them, I think they're going to have the ability to showcase both being facilitating guards, but also being because they are they're both score first. I mean, neither's neither's a true point guard. We're we're aware of that. So I think that they're actually going to help themselves. And whether it's bumping, you know, whether that means Aaron moves up from the mid 30s to the mid 20s, and Andrew moves up from the mid 20s to the teens, it's still ultimately going to be a good decision. No guarantee that will happen. I think it's pretty likely with what Kentucky has this year and then going into next year's draft. So uh, impressive move by them because obviously, I mean, Parrish, you know, Borzelli, you certainly know. For the past three or four years with these guys, when when they've been known commodities, it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to be one and done. I mean, there was really no question about it until, until you know, the final two weeks before the decision actually came down. So uh, I love it because it makes Kentucky deep, interesting, preseason number one again, and uh, we're never short on storylines with them. You know, I give credit to the dad here, and I know that he, he's been beat up a little bit or at least mocked in, in certain social media settings. I mean, honestly, he was sitting right behind me at the national championship game, just screaming like a lunatic. And so I was sort of having fun with that on Twitter. But once he came out and said, we are genuinely going to listen to what the NBA tells us, that's when I started to think that they were going to come back. And, um, you know, though it it seems like an obvious thing to do. Hey, if the NBA tells you your borderline first round picks at best, probably going in the second round, but you could come back, be preseason number one team and go in the lottery next year. Why not do that unless you're hurting for money? And if you're not, go back to school. Like, it seems like a a very easy, simple decision. Once you've made your mind up, really, for more than a year, that you were only going to spend one year in college, it's very difficult to go back. It's like, if you've made up, I don't know if you guys have ever been through this, but like, um, hey, we're going to move out of this house in the next six months. 
and then and then you come back and you go, ah, well, maybe we'll stay here another year. It becomes very difficult because you're like, you've already got your whole life planned out and you made your mind up and you didn't plan to be here. And your instincts are to then just jump, whether it's proper or not. And so a lot of times I, I genuinely believe that guys turn pro when they shouldn't somewhat because they had already decided that they were going to like, you know, well, it's a pride thing. Like, and then you, you tell people around you that you're yeah. going to be doing this. And so that's, it's kind of a thing where you got to, you know, step back and, and kind of swallow some pride there. Yeah. Right. And so I actually give credit to the, to the twins and to the father for being wise enough to recognize, Hey, this now's not the time. Like, listen, th- this, this freshman year, we had some ups and downs, but um, it ended well. Aaron became a, a, a legend, an icon of the NCAA yep. tournament, and Andrew played well down the stretch. Um, but it's not now's not the time. Let's come back, be sharp, get better from the start, uh, try to be All-Americans, try to win a national championship, and then go. We're in no hurry. That's not an easy thing to do. Now, let me be clear. Had they turned pro, they'd be fine. They'd both be, you know, making more money than all of us combined uh, this time next year. So uh, I'm not. it's not like they had to come back to school, but I do think it was the – the better decision, and and I I compliment them in all sincerity, with with no sarcasm, uh, for making for being able to reverse course the way they did. And so now they'll be number one sure. uh, to almost everyone. I I still give Duke a good chance at uh, at being the best team next year, uh, partly because I'm. They're going to have the best player in college basketball. Uh, I think Jaleel Okafor's game is ridiculous. And I'm sure plenty of people listening are, are know the name and maybe even seen some of what he's done because some of his games have actually been broadcast on television as well as obviously the ability to see him on YouTube. Uh, but I think Duke is going to be really, really interesting because I think Matt Jones will be really good next year. Uh, Tyus Jones is, a, is another incoming freshman who I love a lot. I, I, Suleiman, I kind of remain a fan of, even though I know he had his uh, his dog days uh, somewhat last season. But to me, Duke is going to have the best player in college basketball. Not only are they going to ha- they're going to have the best player, he's going to be he's like a legit center. Like I I honestly believe he has the opportunity to put up one of the 15 to 20 most impressive seasons since the mid-80s, basically. I, I think he's Jeez. that good. Borzello, do you agree? I mean, I, I think he's ridiculous. You think he's going to be better than Jared Sullinger was or Kevin yeah, Love I, was? Yes, I, I do. Wow. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be one of the 15 best players since the mid-80s. I think that's um, that's a bit much. I mean, you were right. He's a class, He's a back-to-the-basket center or classic center. I just, I mean, I don't know if he's going to put up, you know, 20 and 10 right off the bat. I think he'll be the first pick in next year's draft. But I think there's other freshmen that will have better seasons. And I think Clef Alexander will have a better season than him really? next okay. year. I, I just think he's better. Alexander's more ready to dominate at the college level than Okafor. I, mean, I think Okafor's going to be great. I, mean, I think he'll be, you know, one of the five or ten best players in the country. I just don't know yeah, if he's going to okay. be. I love his you know, I, yeah, I love his. He's got good passing ability, great feet. Great oh, he's hands, terrific. Yeah, he's up. awesome. I just, okay, you could be I, right. I like I, Oka, I like, like Okafor more than I like uh, Alexander. I think Alexander's a bully. Uh, you know, like I, and, I think he'll be able to bully his way in college too. I, yeah. I, I don't at the NBA level. I like Okafor a lot better. I just think Alexander will be able to bully the Big yeah, Twelve. He, he can bully. He can bully in college as well. But I think yeah. Okafor's got the goods. Like Okafor can like just he can work you. Whereas Alexander seems more like a bully uh, to me. If I were picking who's going to have the better season, I think I would pick Okafor over Alexander. But it. it um, it is interesting. And just to back up for a minute, you know, Norlander, you sort of prefaced everything by saying, I think Duke can be the best team in the country. Uh, let's make sure we're clear about something. Just because Kentucky on paper should be the preseason number one, 
get like by definition guarantees nothing. I mean, like you know, Connecticut was never preseason number one or in season number five or you know any or, or pre tournament number twenty, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so like um. Uh, sometimes people get it twisted, like oh, so oh, so we somebody tweeted this at me, so we should just hand the trophy to Kentucky. No, that two totally different conversations. Uh, we're identifying who should be number one in the preseason based on what they're returning, what they're bringing in, what they've accomplished, so on and so forth. And then we'll play a season and we'll see how it goes. But on paper, it's Kentucky. In you know by January, we could see it being Duke, Arizona. The more and more I look do, you, do, you guys agree that there's a, a top like a top five, and then there's a drop off. Like I think the top five is in some order. I think Kentucky's one, but I think in some order Arizona, Wisconsin, Duke, and uh, Kansas should be two through five, and then I think there's a drop off to like Florida, UNC, Texas, those schools. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Those are clear top five. I don't know if it's a clear. I don't know, man. Like I, you know, Florida's Florida looks good to me. You know, like uh, North Carolina. Uh, yeah. With Marcus Page coming back, looks good to me. Um, Wichita State basically returning four major minutes guys, looks good to me. I, I, you know, Texas returning everybody and possibly adding Miles Turner. Um, I mean, I, there's always a drop off somewhere, right? But I, I don't know if it's a a clear divide between five and everybody else. Although I do agree that the five you identified, which is uh, Kentucky, Duke, Arizona, Wisconsin, Kansas. Should be one through five in some order, and like as I was doing this uh, yesterday, and, and 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 by the way, thank you to you guys for helping me get these rosters together and starting lineup together uh, for the updated top twenty-five and one. Um, I I started looking at Wisconsin's roster again and wondering, like, there's not much depth there, but when you go starting lineup of of Gosser, Jackson, Decker, Hayes, and Kaminsky, I mean, that's strong, man. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really like I listen. I love Ben Brust. I, I'm not trying to say him leaving doesn't matter, but I mean. If Wisconsin was one of the best teams in the country last year, and all of these guys come back a year older, stronger, more skilled, whatever, it, it's hard to envision them not being really, really, really good. I think they're going to be good. I think the the key for a lot of people to remember is that Kaminsky had some big games, but he he wasn't. It wasn't even that he was inconsistent. It's just that wasn't his role. Like it was not his job to have twenty four and twelve every night. So I think he'll still be able to do that. But I'm not sure. Like I don't know if Kaminsky. Even though he got tremendous draft stock, he had a big march, so obviously his profile gets upped even more. He set a school record last November by scoring 43 against a scrub team. But I don't know if Kaminsky's actually going to be good enough and have a good enough season to put up, you know, to be a first-team All-American. I think that is going to be an expectation because, honestly, his name's Frank Kaminsky. He is a tall white dude, plays for Wisconsin, and he had a great march. So people are kind of kind of sure. expect that. I, I, but really, I, think, I don't think that's realistic. I think either him or Decker has to be that kind of player. And I, I don't know... If I mean I think Kaminsky I mean I think Decker has more talent I just don't he just he never yeah. really seems like that guy that who's going to go out there and try to dominate a game and I think he's got to be that sort of player that sort of assertive all American caliber player for them to be a a top three team I, I agree I think they should be two or three or whatever but I just think one of those two guys has to really be a consistent all American type player Listen I wanted to talk about this later in the call but uh, since we are uh, sort of just naturally ended up on this subject all Americans. Like, I was looking at it, preseason, oh all of that. It, it's not easy. Um, there, there, I don't know that there is a consensus guy, unless you want to say it's Jalil Okafor, or maybe Montrez Harrell. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there's a consensus guy. What, off the top of your head. Okay, so let's, uh, you can go, here's something I put together. You tell me what you think. Fred Van Vliet, Marcus Page, Emmanuel Moutier, Montrez Harrell, Jalil Okafor. 
uh, <laughs> Fred Van Vliet is the first team All American. That's uh, I mean I think I that's I love I'm trying that. to th- I'm, I, I'm, I I'm trying to think Van of a. Vliet. But right. I'm trying to think of a guy that could replace him, and it's not. I would oh, say Page. Oh, you would, could you could replace him a variety of ways. Andrew Harrison, Kevin Pangos. You could move Marcus Page to the point. Could be Ryan Boatwright. Could be Emmanuel uh, Moutier. Uh, I don't think Boatwright will be there. Moody, see, Borzell, Moody's 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 big numbers. Moody is going to put up. Moutier, is all on Moutier. I, I don't know enough about his game to say. Oh, I love Moutier. Love um, do, like, we, do we give Do we give Arizona Stanley Johnson a chance? Is he? Do you think he's uh, an impact player that's good enough to crack a first team? Possibly, he's going to be productive no matter what. But like, you look at Arizona and you look at what Aaron Gordon and like like, nobody in that on that starting five puts up huge numbers. Like they all, they're all going to average between like twelve and fifteen game. I don't know if anybody's going to put up the numbers necessary to be a first team All American. If I had to pick one guy from Arizona, it would be Stanley Johnson, just because. But you he know, might I, get canceled out by Rondé. Not that Rondé would be good enough to be a first team, but Rondé Hollis Jefferson might put up enough, and he's going to be a draft pick next year. That, like, there's just a lot of guys on that team. I think are going to average like 14, 15 a game, something like that. So I mean, you could go okay. So up front, like I think Montrose Harrell's the guy, but you could go yeah. like if I were going pow, you know, two bigs, you go Harrell and Okafor, or Kaminsky, or George Niang, Trey Lyles, Taron Petaway. Alex Cliff Alexander is probably going to be in the conversation. Cliff Alexander, like there, like it's interesting. There's a it's bunch wild. of guys, but there, I don't think like last year. If you were, if you know, everybody was going Marcus Smart. He has to be on everybody's preseason team. Um, mm. Who were the other guys that were just sort of Russ Smith had to be on everybody's preseason team. McDermott obviously McDermott. was like there were three brain. guys yeah. that basically had to. You had to start with three guys, and then we were arguing over Jabari Parker or. Mitch McGarry or Andrew Wiggins yeah. or, or whatever, but there were three constants for everybody, and yet and even still, like I feel like Wiggins and Parker were still like it was it was much less of a discussion. I actually I was talking with Jeff Eisenberg about this last week, just the preseason All American. But because by the way, we're mentioning all these dudes. There's going to be one guy if he doesn't even get first team, he'll flirt with it and be second team. Some guy we're not even talking about right now, and that's kind of the fun of college troops is you just can't totally predict. Usually, there's usually one surprise guy at least, and this I, year I can I can could be two to three I, or four. I can totally predict everything. <laughs> well, I know. I, I forgot who I was talking to here, but still, but still, uh, no, that'll I, maybe we'll get some actual like some true variation from publication to publication come the come the fall in terms of uh, who gets preseason All Americans. Yeah, I would I would say I would probably put Page over Van Vliet if you wanted to stick to point guard specifically there. Um, but man, I, I don't what, know. What, I think, what, why don't you go? Why, why couldn't you go? Marcus Page, Aaron Harrison, Emmanuel Moutier, Montrez Harold, Jalil Okafor. You could. Yeah. I know. I know. Goodman has Karis Levert. I mean, if, okay. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there because I know he wants. I mean, I would put George Niang somewhere in the mix. Yeah, he's going to put up big numbers. I've got him listed here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had uh, in the in the forward spots. I had Harold, Kaminsky, uh, Petaway, Lyles, Niang. Yeah. You know, like yeah, there, there's some good guys there. Yeah, Harold's gonna be interesting at Louisville. He was, uh, to me, dude, he is. Awesome. I was most shocked. I, I, I guess he's awesome. Like, I don't know why he's coming back to school. Yeah, right. I mean, he was so dominating, but uh, we'll see what how that backcourt helps him. I, I feel like he, a little bit of uh, facility. Like, he is awesome. Don't get me wrong, and I, I love watching him play. But he'll be the guy next year for Louisville. And uh, is the way that his game is assembled is that is that going to uh, help him truly flourish at a first-team All-American level to be the guy. Yeah, I don't know, but it is okay. So, any other freshmen we need to like consider for this type of thing? Moutier, Okafor, Alexander, 
Uh, maybe Tyus Jones, if you want to go that route. Uh, Like Tyus Jones, we could look up in January and be talking about him the same way we talked about Tyler Ennis, you know? Right. I think somebody from Kentucky is going to... Is going to emerge, maybe Trey Lyles, but you know, but they could cancel each other out. I think the bigs are going to cancel each other out. That's yeah, why, like, could I, be right. I, I was thinking Aaron Harrison. If as a freshman, yeah. Aaron Harrison put up like fifteen a game or right around that, right? There's no reason to think that's going to decrease. Uh, and so, like, you know, if you are on the number one team in the country and you're the number one team in the country's leading scorer, that's probably first team All American stuff, right? Yeah, and that's why I think you you could put maybe Cliff Alexander, like I said, in the mix because. Kansas, to me, is going to be a top-five team, and I think he's going to lead the team in scoring. Or, you know, Kelly Oubre, another freshman, I think he's going to come in for Wiggins, and, and he's going to put up big numbers. And, you know, you just look at – there could be – I can make a case for 25 or 30 guys right now um, to, to really – you know, have, you, know you, you mentioned Pangos. You can go down the list. Stanley Johnson we've already talked about. Um, you know, even though we made fun of Goodman for Karis LeVert, I think he's going to average like 20 a game for Michigan next year. Um, so I just think there's a lot of guys that we could talk about as a, at least a top, you know, three-team All-American. Okay, so which which teams, and Borzello and, and GP kind of hit both on this in, in different ways on the site, but which teams are, are going to be down the most next year due to either lack of incoming freshmen or because they lost guys early? Oh, I think it's Michigan, right? I mean, right. I think they're the number Michigan one team, right? Yeah. They could have been number one in the country. I mean, if you bring back – now, I, I, they were always going to lose Stauskas, or at least always since January. So, But if you were to bring back, I mean, practically the whole team, you know, you know that won the Big yeah. Ten, um, I, I think they could be a reasonable challenger for, for number one in the country. And, 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 and given, what, given what Beeline always seems to do, he always seems to find a guy and that's going to average 15 a game and make threes and – Makes them, you know, gets the most out of his lineup, but they just lose a ton. They lose the three guys left early. And Jordan Morgan did a great job uh, filling in for McGarren. He's gone. John Horford's gone. So they're, you know, they don't have a lot in the front court. And, you know, they lose their, their biggest scores. It's going to be, you know, a lot of pressure is going to be on Levert and Derek Walton and, and the newcomers. Yeah, but if you yeah. brought back Walton, Levert, no, it's like maybe the number one team. Stauskas, Robinson, McGarry. Walton and Lavert. I mean, that's like that. Those five make probably make you. I think one or two, no matter what. Yeah, there's no way you were putting Michigan over Kentucky. <laughs> but yeah, yes, no. I, you see, like you'd be in that mix too. Yeah, they brought. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's they're, they're the other one, right? They're the other team that really takes a huge hit because they lose Jordan Adams at the last minute. I mean, Woj broke that at like midnight on Saturday. Um, Kyle Anderson obviously gone, and then Zach Levine uh, is gone. Those are three guys gone to the draft specifically. Isaac Hamilton comes in, but that will be an interesting situation for Alfred next year because UCLA had a nice run. They got a four seed. They reached the Sweet 16 and and fell to, obviously, number one overall seed in Florida. Now they're going to lose a lot of talent. So in year number two, I think Alfred will have a big challenge. Getting that team to the tournament, I think, will be a victory. But uh, I'm I'm at least intrigued by UCLA because they were clearly going to be the number two team in the Pac-12, and now that's not the case. I'm still sort of high on them. I I still like them. Are you a big Hamilton guy? I like Hamilton. They also bring in you know a lot of good front court players. Three top seventy ish front court players um, that I think are going to make an impact. They bring back Norman Powell. They bring back Alfred Sun. So to me, they still have the pieces to make a tournament run. I, I just think it's frustrating when not that any of the guys made a bad decision. Like if Jordan Adams just decided he didn't want to be in school anymore and he wants to go make a money somewhere, then 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 fine, whatever. Uh, but like 
it must be frustrating when you're a coach. It's one thing to lose Julius Randle and James Young. Like, what have you? Like, of course you are. Or Kyle Anderson. Yeah. But, but even Kyle Anderson is not guaranteed to be a lottery pick. I mean, I think he probably will be right around that. But, I mean, he could slip if, you know. Yeah. If, I just meant the, in the fact that he knew he was going to leave. Sure. sure. To lose uh, a, a role player based on potential, you know, like, like Zach is frustrating probably. And then to lose Jordan Adams. Like, anytime you lose a guaranteed second-round pick – who is a great college player? Like it, yeah, he like, would have put up twenty next year for the Bruins. Yeah, he's a great. He's a perfect example of a great college player who couldn't possibly be a first round pick. And so to lose a guy like that, same thing at Missouri. You know, you know, losing right. Jabari Brown and Jordan Clarkson. I mean, those. You know, you losing second round picks is a killer for a basketball program. You can sort of plan or at least expect get your mind around the idea of losing lottery picks. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then be be thankful or appreciative or fortunate if if they happen to to return to school like Montrez Harrell, but losing second round picks is a killer, man. Yeah, uh, that's a you know what GP. I've actually never heard anyone say it like that, but that's a damn good point because there's a certain reliability. They're, they're, they're there. college stars, and they're not they're you know they're not guaranteed to get drafted like Nick Johnson. You know, I you know obviously, um, you know Arizona is yeah. well suited to you know make up for his loss, but he's not going to be a first round pick, and he was just dead set on leaving. And I think uh, he'll probably not be a first-round pick, although I don't really get the hype with him, honestly. But, like, Syracuse losing a Jeremy Grant, I think that's another situation there. I think he's a mid-first-round pick. Yeah, no, I'm saying. I'm not. I'm saying, but personally, I I just – I got to see it. I just never saw enough there to – and there's always a player like that where I just don't get it. Like, and But I'm saying Syracuse would have been – hugely benefited by having Grant return. That's obviously not going to be the case. Yeah. And, and they're going to be a team that really takes a huge step back. At least they should. I mean, Bayheim's had a, a pretty uh, amazing run the past five, six years here with no matter the roster. And he's had plenty of talent, obviously. They've, they've put plenty of guys into the draft. But um, I think we are finally set up for a Syracuse season where even if they're going to run run game in the in the non-conference I, I think when they get to ACC play they're gonna they're gonna find themselves struggling to even be top four run game I like that run game that's right so the uh coaching carousel it hasn't stopped but it is uh, significantly slowed at least for now uh, when Missouri yesterday announced in the most top secret search in the history of searches <laughs> For whatever, like get over yourself, or all crying out loud, like you're, 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 <laughs> GP might be speaking from experience of trying to break the story right now. Well, it's just like you know, I don't even mind. Like you know, sometimes sources don't talk. That's fine. This was one where like they were publicly misleading. Like they publicly yeah. stated yesterday, we will not have an announcement after the conf- after the board meeting conference call, and then thirty minutes later had an announcement. Like why are you lying so much? Like. You know, what, like, why do you take yourself so seriously? Like, you're Missouri basketball, for crying out loud. Like, anybody's going to care tomorrow or, or probably for at least another two or three years, and that's if you've made a good hire. Uh, but beyond that, okay, so... Damn, GP. Posted. So, you, just went, you just went in on Missouri basketball. Well, like, just, I, I don't know. I get, I get frustrated by liars. I don't get frustrated by people who are, uh, you know, uh, protecting themselves or their employee or... or, or you know, you're trying to conduct the search in, in private, whatever, like what, that's part of the game, right? You, you try to keep it from people like me and people like me try to find out what's going on. Um, but like lying, like lying about it publicly, like when you, when, right. when you're specifically asked, is there, can we, can we expect an announcement, um, after the board meets on Monday afternoon and they say, no, there is going to be no announcement. There will be nothing announced, nothing. And then thir- by definition, if, if you announce something 30 minutes later, that means you were planning an announcement. Then you're just lying for the sake of lying. And I, or, unless you can tell me the other reason you're lying and I can't, 
I can't make sense of it. So, like, it just seems all silly to me. But whatever. Like, uh, again, they're going to be bad next year. And unless they've hired the best rookie 59-year-old Division One head coach in history, they're going to be bad for a while. So, whatever. Like, like I care. Um, but, <laughs> but um, oh, oh, well, let's stick to this. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't care. Don't worry. What, what about hiring a, a, a 59-year-old with no Division One head coaching experience who hasn't been at the Division One level um, since the 90s? This makes sense to you? No, not really. No, uh, it's not 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 when a guy like Ben Howland's out there, uh, who's proven he can win. And I know I know some people you know don't like him, but he's proven he can win. And you know he's he's had experience recruiting at the highest levels. And um, you know I know that Kim Anderson's got ties to the area and he coached the school. But to me, I mean Howland would be more of a a sure thing in terms of being successful than Kim Anderson is. I mean I got some thoughts, and I know GP will have his patented additional thoughts here, uh, but. Yeah, so the Howland thing is interesting because clearly, clearly the way Howland's tenure ended at UCLA has stuck to him more than I think he would have expected because he wanted Marquette. He didn't get Marquette. We thought that he would be at least uh, a pretty strong candidate at any other major opening that happened this year. And that wasn't the case. Uh, so I am I am surprised right now where we sit that Ben Howland has not been hired under D. Especially, especially since you said, you know, you, you mentioned the way it ended. But you know, it ended with a, a Pac-12. A yes, I know. That's I know. the thing. Like, and yes, I know. I know. I know. I know. But I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, off the court suspicions of cheating. Okay, I'll, I'll blatantly put it out there. Just the, the way that that happened and the way that he went out in that. I got, I got done. all that, and and that's fair because there were whispers, whether right. it was validated or not, and it certainly there was never an. Combined with that. the Sports Illustrated story, but like, correct. Okay, but like, I just. That is one way to put it. Okay, first off, uh, this is all interesting to me, and I'm actually going to write about this um, either today, we or, today or tomorrow. Um, I was on a radio show the afternoon that Michael White turned down Tennessee, and, and but but before it, it the job fell to Donnie Tindall, and um, it was in Nashville, and one of the hosts asked me about Ben Howland, and I said some stuff about Ben Howland, and he said, well, how much of a, a disadvantage is it, or how much of a negative is it the way his – Tenure ended at UCLA. Essentially the same thing you just said, Norlander. And I said, um, well, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you know, he, he lost it a little bit. They went to three Final Fours, but, you know, it was slipping. He won the Pac-12 title in his last year. Like, right. he won the Pac-12. He beat Sean Miller, beat Dana Altman, beat everybody else. He won the Pac-12, all right? Well, so what's funny to me is that there were three knocks on Ben Howland um, as, as his UCLA tenure progressed. And the Final Fours were, at least in the rearview mirror, a little bit. The three knocks were this. One, he wasn't winning enough. Well, he won the Pac-12 title in his last year. So he, he at the very least, resolved that. And, and, and beyond that, this UCLA team that just went to the Sweet 16, basically his players. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So B, it was, well, he's not recruiting well enough anymore. Can't recruit anymore. Except he signed a top five recruiting class in the country in his, it was his last recruiting class. And I know that there were whispers around it. I'm not naive. Like, I hear the same things you hear. I've actually talked to Ben about it, um, but um, there was never anything of substance um, found. Uh, there was never an NCAA investigation that led to probation or sanctions or anything like that. Um, and then the other knock was, well, he plays so slow, boring style. Except they were, you can go look it up, and I know you will, Norlander, at KenPalm.com. They I'm aware of it. And I'm not knocking him. I'm just staying yeah, how Top 25 tempo in the country. I believe it was second in the Pac-12 and top 25 in the country. So in his final year at UCLA, he won. He recruited, and he played fast. 
And yet UCLA still fired him because they had just made up their mind they were going yeah. to fire him. Now, uh, to the point you made about, well, okay, so why can't he get a job now? Is it connected to whispers that he cheated? Well, are whispers that you cheated worse than proof that you did actually cheat? Because Bruce Pearl got a $2.2 million a year contract. So I just I can't imagine that that's actually it. Okay, so then there's the Sports Illustrated article, which you know clearly hurts because it shows up in Google searches. Um, but but what was really there? It looked to me like they recruited two bad kids that everybody else in the country was trying to recruit as well, and and that Ben probably let them get away with some stuff that they shouldn't. Not probably. I, I won't I won't del- be delicate with it. Uh, definitely let some let them get away uh, with some stuff they shouldn't have. Probably should have kicked both of them off. I'm talking about Reeves Nelson and Josh Smith earlier uh, than he did. And then you had drug use within the program, which I I don't want to say goes on at every program, but. I think goes on in most college basketball programs as well as most college fraternities and and law schools and everywhere else. And so um, I I, I just think that's interesting that there's no question more people – there's a a segment of college basketball fans and I think presidents, AD – I think Ben's got a perception problem right now. I I don't think people perceive reality properly and it has kept him – um, listen, I, I can just tell you matter-of-factly, he wanted back in. I was on a radio show in St. Louis or, or Kansas City yesterday, and they said, well, what we're hearing is that Ben Hallen, you know, didn't want the job. Absolutely not. He wanted the job. You know, he wanted the Tennessee job. He wanted the Marquette job. Um, and I know he wanted the Missouri job. He wanted back in. Like, and, and I think he might have overestimated what kind of job he could get. And by the time he realized, oh, wow, maybe I should have gone for Virginia Tech, it was too late. Mm, yeah, uh, I would think by this time next year he will be hired because we'll have another whole batch. But I, I was just, I was just saying that I was surprised he did not get a gig at this point. I, I thought it, I, I thought that it would have happened. And um, yeah, no, I was more speaking to the, the the simple perception problem with Howland. So that's that's pretty surprising. A real quick thought on on Kim Anderson, whom most people have no idea who this guy is ex- outside of Missouri fans because he's actually an alumnus there. I don't, and people that were making, um, I say people, I saw Seth Davis tweet it, maybe a couple other people, and they were, I'm not saying they were legitimizing the uh, apples to apples here, but they were bringing up Bo Ryan. Well, Bo Ryan was a lot younger and a lot more accomplished than was. Kim Anderson, yes. so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't quite, quite get, get uh, why we need to inject Bo Ryan's legacy into, and Kim Anderson being hired at Missouri. Not saying that Kim can't do good things there, but he's in a really rough spot here and uh you know he's up there in age the sec is 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 down relatively speaking but when you look at what else is going on in other programs there when tennessee gets a nice injection with tyndall obviously auburn with bruce we already know that the the power programs are going to remain that way it just for missouri fans who have suffered for so long and aren't inspired by this hire i can't blame them for that because right now it doesn't look like in the long term they're really in any sort of better situation than they were with Haith. And even I say that fully knowing that Haith was most definitely going to be out if he stayed one more year. I hate it when these kind of comparisons come up, and they always do. Um, like, okay, A, first off, it's not apples to apples with Bo Ryan. It's apples to pears. You know, like um, uh, Bo, apples to pears. Bo, Bo Ryan had been a Division One head coach before he got the Wisconsin job, right, at Milwaukee for a few years. And he had won at a more um, – at, at he had won at a higher level – um, at a lower level than than Kim Anderson has. Also, he was younger. Um, either way, let's pretend that it is apples to apples. Uh, he's like the only apple. 
Paul Ryan is. So, like, it reminds me of, like, when people would look at a five foot eleven scoring guard and go, of course he can make it in the NBA. Look at Allen Iverson. Well, there's one dude that did that, all right? Like, one dude. All right, like, and, and so, or, or, or somebody would try to say, yeah, you can drop out of college. Look at Steve Jobs. Well, well, like, you know, just because it has happened before doesn't mean it's likely to happen again or even reasonably likely to happen again. So Kim Anderson might end up being a good hire. I, I, I wouldn't pretend to know. I don't know much about him. I've never covered Division II basketball. Um, but I, I, saying it's going to work because look at what Bo Ryan did seems incredibly simple to me. And stupid. Simple and stupid. No, I, I – I think we agree on that. Okay, well, I've uh, kept you long enough. Really do appreciate you, again, being here at CBSSports.com, listening to the podcast, the off-season podcast, reading what we write, interacting with us on Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to make sure you get the newest episodes. So go ahead and do that. And I could usually promise you at the end of the call when we will be back. But when will we be back? Are we just going to do these sporadically whenever it feels like there's something to talk about? Yeah, let's let's do them sporadically. As, let's, uh, look, let's, let's definitely do one sometime in like before July. Oh well, yeah. well, 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 As, uh, we can do one. We can do one in May if you want. How about when Billy Donovan or Tom Izzo leave to go to the NBA? Boom. <laughs> oh God! You, you, you listen. I hope I hope those guys do whatever they want to do and chase whatever they want to chase. But you, I, you just you just start a whole other. That's just a pain in our ass if that happens. Oh, I'm just like I would love it if this if it was really over. If like Southern Miss would make a hire and this would be just over. You know, we've got everybody in school. Like it's just the. Idea. Are you saying you're not gonna you're not gonna try to work the the main and the main openings? The I I am telling you. Main. Coppin State uh, and Florida A and M openings. I'm telling you. Gonna... I'm telling you definitively. If you guys want to chase Coppin State. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to break Florida A&M. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Hey, have at it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it is all yours. So um, we will talk again uh, relatively soon, and we'll be sure to let you know on Twitter. So make sure you're following us all on Twitter. We will give you 24-hour notice for the next podcast, <laughs> and then we'll record it, and hopefully by then my voice will be back to uh, normal. Uh, take care.